who's to know uh, what is what and what is real and what is not. Right now, there's no way to know the identity of who's behind anything that's going on. And so that could already be happening and we wouldn't know it. And I think that's like the most simple way to think about this is like, what are you seeing? What are you reading? What are you watching on video? And what is the identity behind it is like a really simple and easy question to think about. Why, hello, friends. How's it going? Hey, guys. Hello. hello. I'm extra squeaky today. I'm battling a little cold, but I'm here. I'm here. You're here. Britt's here. Uh, Dave's here. Sam's here. Yeah. It, it's the full quad. Well, welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of More or Less, where we take you behind the headlines, around the headlines, in front of the headlines, inside the headlines, tell you actually what is going on. And occasionally debate. I feel like this is going to be a debating episode, guys, because we're we're going to get into it on oh, the news of the week, which is AI regulation. And of course, since it's us, we're gonna we're gonna look ahead because we, we don't like looking backwards. So um, I am psyched for everyone's AI predictions um, as we kind of talk about regulation. But but before we dig into that, what else is cooking? Like what's in the How's the Hall- week been? Halloween. Do you guys think about the Roman Empire? <laughs> well, you know, the lessons ended up kind of split between the Romans and the Greeks because ah. Amazon doesn't really specify uh, <laughs> very clearly when you're ordering last minute costumes. But our our son, our eldest, had an idea of being Odysseus, ah. which was then picked up by our middle I love that your six-year-old son like wanted to be Odysseus. <laughs> he did, yes. First plug of the episode, greeking out. Yes. <laughs> greeking out for all of you. Oh, best podcast ever. Ooh. The greatest stories in history <laughs> told in Greek mythology. Greeking, greeking out. out. Um, yeah, actually, wow. this is a great rec. For any parent out there that doesn't know about it, Greeking Out is definitely the best podcast. It's the entire, you know, Greek um, mythology. And they've actually gone into other mythologies now, um, told for kids in like 30-minute podcasts. And so it's good. actually, it's fabulous. Um, cool. I'm excited about this. Hey, whatever gets Sam in a toga makes me happy. I, I mean, Sam, did you see the length of that toga? I was like, who ordered it? I, not me. <laughs> Did you have a train on your toga? Did someone have to carry it for you? <laughs> I felt reverse sexist because somehow my wife bought me the short toga and her the long one. You know, Again, <laughs> Amazon doesn't specify, you know, when you're just plugging away, like they don't specify. But anyway, well, I saw that the more, I mean, you guys always have the best costumes, but also, um, Brett, we got to talk about you hosting a dog costume contest. I mean, uh, please, please explain. This. Okay. Well, uh, uh, infused with data, as you know, I like to do. There are more dogs than than children in the Bay Area, and <laughs> Halloween is the largest uh, holiday. Um, brings in twelve billion dollars in economic growth for the U.S. And I just thought to myself, like, why aren't there more dog Halloween contests? Um, 
as one does. We are slow ventures. Yeah. Is the was I'm not sure we still are, but was the premier dog investor for many years. It's we true. were like the dog VC. Yeah, exactly. See, you you know Rest the data. Rest in peace, our former dog Pixel. Big inspiration for that. Oh, loved <laughs> Pixel, but yeah. yeah, the dog DNA that one really took off, right? That was your rocket yeah, ship. That was a good Arc one. Arc has done right quite well. Wag Rover. It was a Harvard reunion, and the the CEO, the now CEO, pitched me and Matt Salzberg, the founder of Blue Apron, the idea of Look, 23 and me, but for dogs, right? Such a good um, idea. And it's a great, I mean, it hits all the notes, right? Do, you know, people can't afford children anymore, so they care more about their dogs. And yeah. um, and the thing about dogs is like they're kind of like people, but completely unregulated. So oh. it's like, or kind of like AI, but unregulated. <laughs> it's like the best, right? Like, why wouldn't you want humans? The people spend as much money, but there, there are no rules. <laughs> what, what, what else could you want? Britt, what was the highlight of this extravaganza? It seemed from the socials that it went it quite well. It was way more packed than I expected. Yeah, it was completely insane. I have never seen that many dogs in costumes. Um, so what I learned was we need like a real production crew next year. I was just winging it this year. Um, we brought like our own spe- Bluetooth speakers from home. It's like next year it's going to be dialed. So if you're in the Bay Area. It was a big Bluetooth speaker, but like... <laughs> Way too many people showed up. No, we're going to have AV teams. We're going to have podiums. Like, it's going to be legit. So 2024, mark your calendar. You told me that you're actually accidentally going to end up building the next Westminster dog show. Because who gives yeah. a shit about their dog doing dumb tricks? Or yeah. like how bred it is? I just wanted in cute costumes for yeah. Instagram. Also, by know? the way, if you know Britain Co., my first company, like Halloween is the Super Bowl of the yeah. year. Like it is everywhere on the internet. And dog, we have a lot of data around dogs too. And so like I'm kind of known for this. So I feel like I, this is like a legacy thing that I can leave <laughs> for the Bay Area. Aim higher, Brit. Aim higher. I like it, <laughs> but you can also aim higher. <laughs> I got two, two things. First, first product pitch of the idea, please build it. As you all know, I'm very skeptical on AI investing. I don't really believe in it. I do actually believe that that an AI dog that I could post on Instagram, I don't take care of it, but it has all the properties of a dog, right? Is a thing. Like, you Mm. know, like just so you know, I used AI to fully make all of the marketing materials, the signage, the banners, the website for the Halloween contest. And um, I had a really amazing experience with it. So they are AI so dogs, Brit, Sam. What? And, and this is a great transition. Okay. So, but Britt, you have also, you are the AI ninja. Britt saved me. I had an <laughs> amazing, yes. we had an awesome it. women's event last week. Thank you to so everyone who came out. Britt was there. Um, you know, we had hundreds of, of amazing women and it, it just had a tremendous fun. And I'm so grateful to everyone. Um, there was a shot of me and Katy Perry that I wanted to post on the internet and my mic cord was showing. And oh. in two seconds, I said, I know Britt can fix this. She fixed it in about 30 seconds. Now tell me what you did. What app, what buttons did you press? <laughs> Cause now I am mic cord free on the internet forever. This is not an investment or an endorsement, but I used the app Photo Leap, um, which also has a sister app called Video Leap. Um, and it, you just like highlight an area that you want to change in a photo or a video. And then mm-hmm. you type into the text field what you want it to change to. And then it's done. And so like we use this for our holiday cards because my nine-year-old decided he would only wear flip-flops to the family photo um, shoot. And <laughs> I said, fine, um, because I knew I could AI... 
I could AI some like nice brown boots on him later, which I did. So, um, it looks yeah. amazing. Yeah. Uh, okay. I actually tried this and I couldn't figure out how to do this. So may, uh, maybe we'll need a photo leap tutorial, but well, but according to Biden's executive order, i now need to like trade or like watermark my holiday photos. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, let's see. So this is a good, I mean, we all knew that more AI regulation was coming. I'll just recap for those of you listeners, some of the big moves of the week. But what I really, this of course has sparked a debate. Is this too heavy hand and stifling regulation? Is this not enough? But between the US and the EU, there's a lot. So here are some of the details of the regulation. I think the US, Biden's executive order focuses a lot on um, kind of monitoring the compute side of things. So if you are training a model at a certain scale, so these are the Googles, the Anthropics, the Microsofts, um, you need to register the model, you need to um, kind of make assertions about how it works. You have to share the results of the safety testing that you're doing, which I don't think there's a ton of detail on. Um, but basically, uh, the order is targeting really the really, really big models and how they work. You know, the EU is doing some of that, but also taking a different approach and saying, um, if you are in healthcare or law enforcement, or these highly sensitive areas, you have to, um, there's more regulation on what you can and can't do with the model. So kind of like focusing a little bit more on the application layer and targeting um, very, I guess what they call sensitive areas or specific areas. But, um, and then the EU also is having this sort of registered database kind of thing where if you're doing these things, you need to kind of like register your model. So I guess the, I mean, I personally felt like this was not the heaviest regulatory touch. Um, I mean, I have a lot of questions about how this is actually going to work and to create these agencies and partnerships where there's now like public private safety testing and public, like that's new for a lot of this, but it, it doesn't seem, I guess, like insurmountable in the stifling innovation, but, but I, a lot of techies feel the opposite. And there's a lot of criticism that this is, you know, beyond kind of a heavy hand. Um, and also the other bit of criticism is that it kind of locks in the incumbents in some ways because that's what regulation does. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So Sam, what do you think? What was your reaction? Um, look, I think high level, I think it's actually good that the government is like, my basic view of the government is basically there's been three eras of tech they've cared about. The first was social networking. They were super late to thinking about it or considering it. And it's kind of a clusterfuck. Arguably still late. Still late. Then there was crypto, but they said, ah, don't fool me twice. Right. And like, they basically, <laughs> and we also have a ton of financial regulation that already exists. So they were again, slow and thinking about it. And I wouldn't say the laws are good. But you have kind of existing regulatory infrastructure that is both scrapping over what to do and just being generally ineffective and not giving guidance, but then going after people, et cetera. But that's partially because there's so much legacy infrastructure, right, that existed and they're trying to figure out how to hang it. Now we're in le level three where the government's clearly in the, oh, technology matters. We can't mm -hmm. just like stay out of this battle. 
Um, and we're not going to be fooled again. You know, we maybe got fooled by Uber locally. We got fooled all these times. We can't keep looking like idiots and not taking technology seriously. So we got to do something. But then the question is what? You know, my biggest question, all this type of stuff is my unfortunate, I'll call it real politic view of the world is that Washington really doesn't understand any of this stuff. And what they do is they rely upon voices in Silicon Valley, the very small number Mm. of them that have chosen to build relationships in Washington, right? And so this is all driven by lobbyists, right? And lobbyist interests. The government says we have to do something and everyone, I actually agree we have to do something, but then what the actual assessment is and what should be done is really 100% driven by the small number of technologists you know, who, who consider themselves statesmen and have built relationships in Washington. I mean, this is driven by Eric Schmidt, let's just say it, which, which I don't think is like good or bad necessarily. But like, you know, I think he went in there and said, here's what you should do. And they did it. That's my read of. Yeah. And I think like some of this stuff is silly, like the registering big models, like, sure, it's a total gimme. Like no one cares. Like the reality is, is that like to train a model at super scale anyway, it's not you're going to hide that, right? You've bought yeah. so much fucking hardware that like, it's like obvious what you're doing in the U.S., Obviously, you can't touch anything outside the U.S., which we'll get into in a second, meaningfully. And then you have kind of the details of what you do and da-da-da. It'll certainly lock in incumbents. Um, it'll certainly, you know, be distortionary in certain ways. I don't think it's like a super heavy hand at this point. I, look, the bigger problem with all this stuff, and I think the thing I've really come to across a bunch of chapters of what's going on in tech right now, is just the Internet is done, Right. The open global Internet is over and needs actually is like a problem at this point in certain ways. And like we do need to go to like national tech stacks in various forms with stronger borders. And this is yet another place where like it is the national tech stack by definition more government controlled. Like, what do you mean by national? Tech well, stack? I don't know. I just I think that like I think about this from a social networking perspective. I think it 100 percent is. But keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I mean here's the thing. You know, there's this raging debate, if you hadn't noticed on the internet right now, about f- global free speech. And it was like, ah, free speech, American value. It's like, well, for Americans, right? Like speaking to Americans, right? In a, you know, not necessarily a sh- global shouting match. Like, that's not the point of it. You don't get to speak. You know, forget whether you're a bot or not, right? Like, the idea that speech is like globally open to all comers in the United States, right? Just because, you know, whether or not you're human, I mean, sorry, if you are human is like not the right way to think about things. And I just, I think that like we all had this utopian dream that the world would be open and like we'd have like this global Pax Americana living thing. And like, nope, like instead, like we're going to have to think about, yes, we want to hear from all Americans. Yes, Americans should have free speech. Yes, America, like different countries will make different choices about what types, what they want to allow with crypto, what they want to allow with, you know, AI. And I think that's all valid for countries to choose. But we're in a very weird place right now because I think a lot of people really want to hold on to this globalized dream and like it's coming crashing down. Yeah, I think we've, I think that's crash. I think we've done a good job on the podcast talking about that crashing. I think what's interesting now is we're, we're kind of seeing through AI regulation what at least the government wants to emerge in its place and what those new tech stacks and relationships look like. So, Although I think it's hard to talk about what the government wants, right? The government is just a bunch of people and regulators with different interests, right? And course. like, unfortunately, and that are influenced by different voices. So I don't think like, I think it's good that there is AI regulation. You know, I think it's like been a cute trick that a bunch of the incumbents to date, and then we'll call out OpenAI, for instance, has been saying, oh, we're the good guys, regulate AI. And you're like, yeah, like, yeah. of course, like that trick is a little old guys, right? In terms of like, in a pretty transparent trick in terms of like trying you guys to try, lock in some some status. Um, 
But it's also like, I, can we all agree that AI should be regulated? Yeah, absolutely. So Dave, what do you think of what's coming, what the picture is forming now with some of these executive orders, which again, to Sam's point, are as much a political statement as like an actionable strategy? Yeah, I mean, the one thing in the uh, in the order that I was inspired by is that uh, the the order directed every federal agency. If I read it correctly, it directed every single agency that matters to appoint a head of AI. And to Sam's point, I think that we are far past time uh, of needing this American technology stack, right? And we need to think about it this way. Uh, to be competitive globally in the modern internet and technology environment. And the fact that, that that's in this order, to me, was very inspiring. Uh, this notion that we're actually going to start thinking about AI at a federal level, uh, you know, that it, the, the agencies have been directed to think about how to deploy and build AI um, across the entire system, right? To me, like, that's actually one of the most important things here. Like, I'm kind of less interested in the regulatory capture. I mean, I'm with Sam that, you know, um, it's unfortunate that the people who represent Silicon Valley are largely from big tech. Um, you know, that's called American innovation. Um, I'd love to see somebody from startup land, like at the table, mm -hmm. representing the small innovators. Um, you know, we talk about. I think how that's happening. By the way, did you guys notice that Luther Lowe, who was basically he was a longtime policy person at Yelp and was um, the one who really led the charge. He's been leading the kind of anti Google um, and I trust charge for I don't know maybe a decade. Uh, he joined my combinator. So hmm. and it just, I, I think there's some And he was sense. at the table? Uh, I don't know if he was at the table on this, but I think, um, you know, he's he's often at the table and yeah. uh, moved from the kind of, the Google antagonist camp to the sort of startup world. And look, love it or hate it, the reality is that the people who are, quote unquote, at the table from that represent small tech are venture capitalists. Right. Because mm -hmm. like they care about small tech in general. Now, the problem is they get captured by their biggest winners. Right. And so they're just like talking the book or whatever thing is right. winning like on there. But like, uh, you know, it's really hard. Like to start a founder should be spending their time in Washington. They have better shit to do. Right. And like so that's I think the real tension is like with these things, mm -hmm. it is going to be the incumbents who get to talk to Washington. Right. Uh, and like they are, they do have their own agendas. Right. Britt, what do you think? I just want to know who these people are. It feels like, like we're, we're entering a phase where, um, yes, it's great to have more tech representation within the government, but like, should we be voting on it? Like, should it be more democratic? Like how, who are these people? Like there's no transparency into how the sausage is getting made there. And, um, and I think this has like such broad implications for the future of where we go in this world. Right. And I, I think the problem with all the regulation stuff is like the genie's out of the bottle. Like it's going to be so hard to police, like, sure, we'll capture maybe 80% of it, but there's going to mm -hmm. be like so much random stuff that like makes its way through anyway. And, and I think we have a, a, you know, many years battle ahead of us to discern, um, what, what is AI? What's not like what's going on? We have, there's a lot of like user education that we have to get through and like more policies and like changing regulations. And I think often the, the problem is that when regulation comes this fast and this hard, it's like very stifling and it's hard to go to sort of ease up. It's always easier to like add more, but it's hard to let go. 
I'll, I'll also say, I think there's this other problem that is very AI relevant in this moment, which is that the the difference between academic research and application has collapsed too much mm. to the point that like, look, I think we would all say AI research should be done, you know, in universities and controlled environments away from business and away from politics any way they want. Like no one wants to stop innovation. Right. And I think that's true. And like, if you look at like, I, again, I think this is very relevant because, you know, you see what's happening, how the universities are being drawn into these political battles and like losing and screwing it up. But it's like, I would love a world we can go back to, which is the point of the academy, the point of real science, the point of research is to go off into the woods, take some money and some talent, do whatever the hell you want to learn in a safe, secluded environment out of the sphere. The problem is, is that the world we've come to is no longer the world of these types of government spended projects. You know, universities are no longer secluded. The difference between we figured something out intellectually and we're applying it is like days to months, not years to decades. And I think that's super dangerous because you basically end up with this thing where like you have this tension, which is you don't want to stop research and innovation. But also this stuff is there's no there's no ability to like put like some sort of barrier between intellectual research and then practical application. Google was kind of a good example at the start of this, like in terms of that, how research project that became very practical, like overnight, you know, OpenAI couches itself as a research institution, right, which is how it attracts a lot of talent and how it tells this great big story. But like, then they're immediately releasing this stuff into the world. Well, that was what OpenAI really changed the game on. I mean, they took research that was done from really, you know, the Google world and they commercialized it and they said, we're, we're going to hire researchers and literally sit them next next to world-class software engineers. And that's absolutely right. I mean, Sam, I wonder if part of why that's happening too is just the costs. I mean, the t- it's going to be tens of billions of dollars to train these models going forward. And that's not, you know, a research lab at Stanford kind of But stuff. it is like a government project. I mean, I think yeah. like that, that is the Manhattan project. And I just think it's yeah. like, to me, it's like we've done this, we basically have ended up in this weird place where you know, industry has the dollars and the will to do a lot of like really big picture research, which has historically not been true, right? Business has been like this application layer thing. And I just think that drawing academic and intellectual research, whether it should have been done in labs privately by the government, and I think there's good arguments for that in a lot of cases, whether it should be done, you know, in secluded universities, but it shouldn't be in the field, right? So quickly. And I, you know, the problem is, is that there's no way to really stop that at this point that's obvious right um i do think and like i think that's the interesting you know I, we're not going to see a law that says phds can't work in industry right like and or in like a setting you know and like i i just i think i don't know how to reestablish those borders but that was i think actually the way that it should be done and what's been broken recently right and, but doesn't technology break it i mean how do you i mean it's one thing if you're building a nuclear bomb it's another thing if you're building software right i mean how do you um, I, it just seems like those barriers would inevitably have kind of been broken. But I mean, I think one of the interesting things when reading through this, I was just uh, reading through pieces of it to remind myself, is that this executive order invokes the Defense Production Act, mm-hmm. which is actually a pretty big deal. Like doing that is, uh, it's a pretty rare thing that a president does. Um, and uh, you know, it, it kind of actually does force collaboration um, in ways that um, otherwise this would be a, you know, a bunch of words on a page that may or may not, you know, incentivize anybody to do anything. And um, <clears throat> that's actually, I think, an interesting piece of this. And I don't know if that plays into um, 
the conversation that we're having right now. But I think that's a great call, Dave, personally, because I think that's like exactly right. Like, and I think the really big problem we have right now is we don't even know how to define if we're at war anymore. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, if you think about it, it's like free speech is a great one, right? Because free speech, like we believe in Americans should be able to speak freely to other Americans, right? Like we believe in free speech, but throughout history, we absolutely shut down free speech in times of war, right? And like, that's totally been accepted. It's not an unlimited right. It's, you know, there are places where you stop at other countries have much more stringent lines, you know, this type of stuff. You know, we're now fighting multiple proxy wars around the world, yeah. right? And the interesting part is like they're bleeding into the home front yep. in so many ways because, you know, again, we go TikTok has a lot of reach in the US, yeah. like, you know, things like that. I was going to say this exact thing, Sam, which is that I really am was looking through this executive order for far more defense related uh, conversation because you know, we've got a AI war already playing out on American turf and it's called TikTok. But wait, well, what are you guys, so can, just be clear about what you're arguing. Like what should happen? I, well, I think here's the problem. I think we are at war right, right now in like the technological world. And like, we have no defenses in terms of like how this war is playing out on our home front. Yeah. Like it's not, and we're fighting proxy wars in the Ukraine, unfortunately now in Israel. And I also think on the home front, literally. Right. And the problem is, is that U.S., we haven't declared war in like forever because we don't even have the will to do that anymore. So everything is done through like executive orders, right? Mm. In terms of like, you know, the defense stuff we do do. Like we don't have. And so because we can never declare we're at war, we end up in these weird places, right? I think with speech, with the Internet, with AI regulation, where like we all kind of recognize that this is all defense relevant and like we need to defend ourselves, but we can't actually get the gumption together like to fully do it. Now, I'm glad we did something like I'm glad we're moving in the right step. But it is a really weird time from that perspective. You know, people have talked forever about the future of digital warfare. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. like what we're going to look back on in 20 years and realize, oh, my God, we actually are at war. And we are being assaulted right now on the home front, but we don't even fully recognize the attack. I think this is why it's like so uh, ever important, like what's going to happen in 2024 with this election, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm like... I'm not seeing a lot of optimism in in the candidates uh, coming to the table, and I don't know if anything's going to have such a drastic change to pull us out of this, and or if like I don't know if what you guys think if there's like some candidate that might win that could could lead us in the right direction, but it feels like we've got like four to five more years at least of the status quo, which is is going to end in a bad way. Well, Biden, I don't know. I think Biden's been doing a reasonable job recently. Like I historically have not been a fan of Biden, but I do think like you see some stuff stepping up here in a few different corridors. Right. Um, so I, I do. But it, but I don't think, you know, one thing I was thinking about, I was thinking about writing a screenshot essay on this because I've been mulling this a bunch is I think I think technologists are really good at problems where there's a defined solution that can be achieved. Right. Like it, technology, the entire Silicon Valley mentality is like comes down to binary and like solutions. And so you're like, like if, make this number go up. Make, yeah. Or just like solve this problem. Like I want to do this if it's solved. The problem with a lot of this stuff is you get into is like, there is no solution, right? It's just an ongoing forever yeah. war. And I think technologists are uniquely bad at this. Like I actually think this is one of the big conflicts between Washington mm-hmm. and out West is like technologists only think in terms of final solutions. And the, candidly, they're not even really willing to work on things that aren't like balanced final solutions. Whereas I think Washington, like the East Coast is much more like, 
it's an ongoing war for forever, right? And you're trying to find balances and the right, you know, kind of compromises. You're in the like mitigation strategy or so. Yeah, and you like take pride in holding things together. And I just, I talked to so many technologists who like the second the problem becomes obviously unwinnable, they're just uninterested in it. Right. And like unwilling to engage in it. And well, I think, there's a there's a there's some of us that are interested in it. You know, I think <laughs> it, very few. Maybe the older you get. Dave, yeah. Dave, are you one yeah. of them? Dave, how are you going to solve the problem? But it's not solvable. That's the Dave, thing. What it's would you do like, as president? <laughs> I mean, I think what we're asking for here is an American tech stack. Right. Like we need to take the American tech stack very, know. very seriously. I don't know, guys. I'm just like, what? Why are we back? I, I understand the internet is no longer global, but like we've really decided that the government is the one that should run. No, our... just that, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. There's like these important things where we need to provide for our national defense and safety, right? Yes, like we need agreed. to give Americans identity that's protected and safe on the internet. We need to um, make sure that we understand what is going on with uh, social media systems that are developed in other countries that have enormous reach on our turf. Mm. Uh, We need to understand, is AI at play in those social media environments? How is it affecting the minds and hearts and souls of Americans? Um, And we need to be able to defend our, we need to defend ourselves. I will remind everyone that TikTok's proposal for how it wants to exist in the U.S. is it teamed up with Larry Ellison. It spent, you know, it it proposed, and this is like they're kind of waiting for approval because it's just a political football at this point, to spend a billion dollars a year, um, you know, running TikTok on basically government-approved, I mean, there's no one more connected in these circles than Larry Ellison, kind of servers, right? And now the government has not approved that because, again, they're just using it as a political football. But is that like, I mean, that is basically saying, okay, Chinese company, you can exist, but on American tech stack. But then the critics go, okay, but like, what about the data being sent? What about the people working, right? Like, where do you kind of... We need to know these things. I mean, I view this as actually a conservative issue. Like, it's surprising to me that the conservative side of the conversation is not demanding this and wanting it to be done faster. Like, this is absolutely a war front for us. And we're just not moving fast enough. And it's like a really bad... I mean, I think you can see it playing out in so many different ways in the last many weeks, right? Like you've just got this like really serious problem. Well, and I, I think the question is just like, again, if we're in a war or, or like the question is, where are we in it? Cause it's very hard for us to even think about what that means, right? Like practically. And then like how reactionary versus, are we thinking about this on a one year time frame or a 10 year time frame? If the answer is one year time frame, then you just kick him out of the app store, right? And you like, that's step one. And then you think about the long-term plan, but you have to kind of like cut it off and go. If you think it's not, it's more of a slow burn, which is an arguable thing. Then like, Dave, I think we're back to the, you know, old Sam and Dave conversations from 15 years ago, which is like establish American identity and American digital citizenship, allow other people to opt into it, make it a first step on like actual immigration to the U.S., Right. Like you're going to have a few competing. We went through this on one of the episodes, right? Yeah, I'm sure. But like, I don't know, 10 years ago, you didn't want to sign up for global entry because they scanned your eyes. Right. I mean, we're way beyond that now. Yeah. I mean, we're we're. I just used Claire yesterday. Love it. My 23 me was hacked a couple of weeks ago. It's fine. It's good. For what it's worth, though, I think like, again, because I, I have had somewhat of an evolution on this, although I think I still fundamentally do the same things. Like, like I think what the highest level, the tech level is, you look at the Internet and you're like. 
this is amazing and it is a free speech machine, but it's also a global surveillance machine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And in the era of Pax Americana, when like risks are low, like we're crushing it. Like, yes, we want to export things globally. Yes, like it's low barrier trade. Like, why wouldn't we say, hey, we are the internet actually is the American internet, right? And like it is good for us to keep it as open as possible. And the threat is actually that on a 50 or 100 year basis, Global surveillance crushes it if we don't get encryption and we don't protect the people. Yeah. I think the reality is, is I've gotten older and the world has changed dramatically. And I think we've lost the internet, right? Like in terms of like, we, we, we had the internet. It really was the American internet. We've lost that, right? Yeah. And if we've lost that, the good news is we're still the most dominant player, but like we need to ring fence and defend ourselves, right? Um, and then kind of think about it as a competitive universe where, yeah, there's going to be a European internet, there's an American internet, there's a Chinese internet. And there's probably like everything else, right? And like the everything else just becomes a proxy war, right? Of who wants to spend time where. What does the American tech stack look like? Like, what is it? Well, I think it starts with identity. Yeah, digital yeah. citizenship. Okay, it starts with identity. And then it, are there three cloud computing providers that are part of it and no, the rest aren't? No, I think it's a, it's a, it's a framework where I, I think it's power to the people. Right. Like we have to be extremely careful in how we do this. But Sam's right. Like this long conversation we've had is it starts with identity. You have to be able to feel safe and secure on the Internet as an American. Right. Like you feel safe and secure as an American inside of our country on land. Right. Like you need to be able to feel that way on the Internet. And that starts with identity and um, and when you speak on the internet, you need to be able to say, you know, not necessarily exactly who you are, but you need to be able to identify like this is a real American speaking yeah. versus like this is a bot versus candidly, I don't even care if it's a bot. It's one of the you know six point whatever it is seven point seven billion people that are not Americans, right, and have interests that aren't aligned with our country. Why on the internet do you want to know if you're speaking to an American or not an American? Because it matters. I think like the reality is like if someone's protesting something crazy going on in the world, like I feel differently about it if it's an American with a stake in our country who's trying to express it versus like an uh, you know a Russian bot versus like someone who has no interests aligned with us, right? Yeah, like, and it's not about necessarily keeping people out. It's about being able to filter through and see that you're in the same room as a bunch of Americans or not. It's so I have much less of a national identity than you guys do. That's so interesting. Britt, what about you? How do you Well, feel I was like- also thinking about like how meta, uh, did you guys see this got leaked this week, like the AI friend um, prototypes from meta on Instagram. And so like, well, all- these are like versions of the chat bots, um, but you next- design your AI friend and it's like yes. Brit, the Brit bot. Yeah. And, and so like, I'm just trying to think about how all this plays in together. Like, am I a digital citizen of America, but then the AI Brit is like has a watermark on her (laughs) but that's kind of the point it's like i actually want to know when brit is speaking like brit is a property holder in the u.s brit votes brit like has a stake in the country like landed gentry language well there's arguments that like not necessarily that but like the idea that like we have a collective project we work together we have services that are shared we pay literally pay taxes yeah like i want to know like who's voting with me versus who's or like in my sphere versus just who's the unwashed, unknown identities. And like, yeah, there is a difference between digital Brit and actual Brit, right? And like, that doesn't mean digital Brit shouldn't exist. It doesn't mean that other voices can't exist. But I take it, if if digital Brit is protesting for something versus actual Brit is saying, no, 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 like, I really, this is my position as a citizen who votes. 
I do actually meaningfully care about that very differently. So I look, I'm all for AI friends. Like I've been arguing for a while that like people are lonely and like, you know, if the old social network thing was you come on and like find real friends, this will be like, here's what I like, generate a bunch of friends to make me happy. Like I'm fine with that. But I think we need to be able to distinguish the way people go crazy is when they lose track of what reality is. Like that is how the world really ends as you completely lose track. Totally. Of I think it's just interesting that you're solving that problem with a national lens, right? Well, what else? I, I would love to have solved it peer to peer, but right? It's not like, happening. Just Amer- Blockchain can't solve this guys. No, no. no. I think that's a, like, this is the thing. That the, <laughs> like I love these technologies. Like I was super hopeful 10 plus years ago um, that peer to peer identity could solve it. Right. Yeah. Like there was this argument of like, you and know, that, just for everyone listening. So that would basically mean that there would be some system where other people would be asserting your identity. Like, uh, could yeah. And, and by the way, what before five years before that, I literally tried to do this with Facebook. Right. Like we tried to centralize it and that didn't work. Right. <laughs> well, it, it could. I think that I still believe that that could have worked, but it yeah. didn't in its time. And like, I think that window for that is lost. Yeah. Blockchain, super cool technology. I get four pitches a day because people know I love this stuff mm-hmm. for like oh it's all about assertions and staking and we can figure this all out bottoms up without the government that have would you be- guys gotten pitches on the ai crypto companies because yeah. you're starting to hear about those yes. yeah they're around okay. yeah. oh oh yeah this is a, a long, long time, time coming come. that's been okay. a year of those but the point is like the, the, i think the bottoms up systems <laughs> <Shut> like <down. laughs> the bottoms up systems could have worked at a moment in history and we didn't pull them off you know, the closest thing you have to a national ID right now is comes from the phone company. It's your phone number. Yeah. Like, that is literally the closest thing we have, and it's poorly implemented and fraught with issues and da 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 da. And unfortunately, it's one of those things where, like, the, I feel like the clock ran out, right? And yeah. now we kind of have to go back to the most obvious solution, which is a shitty solution. Like, I don't like it either, right? Um, but I just don't see any other way forward that's practical at this point. And this solution again is sort of national identity woven through our digital experience so that there's clear, we're sort of going to help, we're going to determine what's real or not by deciding what's American and, or not. Yeah, I mean, Jess, here's a really good example. So I, I won't say where or who, <laughs> I have to do this in a way. I was at a table uh, about a year ago, right around when ChatGPT was launching. And uh, the table had several people um, that were deeply involved in the creation of this technology. Let's put it that way. So a bunch of okay, AI. Yeah. What tech? Of AI. Oh, AI, okay. of AI. Um, Dave's and, at the best tables. I like Dave. I want to go to Dave's tables, but yes. <laughs> and there was a question asked at the table, which it was a very interesting conference that asks really interesting questions. Um, you, The question was, it, you were... Uh, you're part of a country and you're deeply dissatisfied with how the country's being run and you would like to change the government of the country in order to, you know, uh, change it to your ideology. How would you do this and what technology would you use to do this? And the folks from the AI side of the table said, oh, this is very easy. And the rest of us were like, oh, really? Like, (laughs) why? And the, the, the proposal was, um, well, you would simply take, uh, you know, this new GPT technology, you'd create a million bots, you would train them on the CIA's manual of how to uh, influence and, um, you know, basically this manual of how to develop an asset. Um, and you would train the bots on how to do that. And then you would develop the, you would develop millions of people in the country over a year, two years times period using this bot. And you would slowly change their ideology to the ideology that you wanted them to be. And that is, I think, 
exactly the thing we're talking about here. If there are millions, tens of millions, like hundreds of millions people using TikTok in this country, and who's to know uh, what is what and what is real and what is not? Right now, there's no way to know the identity of who's behind anything that's going on. And so that could already be happening and we wouldn't know it. And I think that's like the most simple way to think about this is like, what are you seeing? What are you reading? What are you watching on video? And what is the identity behind it is like a really simple and easy question to yeah, think about. I just, it's interesting. I want to think more about whether that identity has to be tied to a specific country or not. Right. I, I think mean, it does so long as we vote and pay taxes. Yeah, like, now, how you get there is a different question. Right. Like, I do think that there can are be like interoperable, like, yeah. our, you know, our friends, the Europeans can like come into our I just think that like it's very much like before World War One, like before World War One, there are no passports. Right. You literally just like showed up in a country and it was fine. Right. Mm-hmm. And like you basically had a bunch of global conflicts. And you're like, oh, you know, like th- we, you can still cross the borders, but like we kind of need passports. Right. And like that was a big deal in its moment. And I just mm-hmm. think we're like replaying a digital version of that. I'm not saying like. I don't ever speak to Europeans or like they can't show up in my Twitter feed or whatever. But like, I do think that like understanding when this stuff goes from being all entertainment based, where it's like, doesn't matter where it comes from to like actually impactful in terms of how we govern, how we go to war, how we defend people, et cetera. Like we're just so far past the moment of like being like, Oh, we, we need to understand if we're going to have democracy, if we're going to have voting, if we're going to have people actually have a voice, no, the entire world doesn't get to speak in America, right? For free. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. that's just not, it's just that simple, right? Like, you don't, like, you don't it, have a state. It's, it's, it's maddening. Yeah, but guys, if we're not speaking to people around the world and becoming more isolationist, we're probably going to end up in even more complex. But Jess, I honestly it's, believe it's that. It's fine. We just need to know that the people, who the people are at the table, that's all it comes down to. It's not about keeping people out. Well, and, and look, I think it, it, uh, it does. Illusion when you define these things and create barriers, you keep people out. 100%. <laughs> I actually have no problem keeping a lot of voices out. Like, I think the reality is, is that like, we are, um, the, this is like just such like a, our generation idealist thing to be full globalist. Like, yes, we grew up in, like, totally. But, like, but we're wrong. Like we have such a myopic view of history. Like, well, I but think- there are periods, there are times. And, and I, you guys dress up as the Roman empire the for Halloween. <laughs> Do you recognize the irony here? Anybody? Uh, I, I was the Greek side. I was going <laughs> the for, Greeks I and the Romans. The balance is not pure open, right? Like the the we lived again. I think it's just our generation is screw is like has a messed up mentality about this because literally, like we came of age as the Berlin Wall. Like the Berlin Wall, yes. you know, was down. Like we owned everything. Like we had won World War. Like I always love. You know, we were born what like on the order of forty years after the end of World War II, yeah. when like most of the entire world's economy was American, right? Like. We have the most skewed view of globalization in history of citizens, right? Good point. And it's not that I don't believe in openness. I do. And, like, I believe that the world, like, I think the world would be healthier and happier and, and like, wealthier the more globalized it is. But I do think that, like, holding this ideology of, like, our generation, which was born in such a, a unique time and not recognizing when you're under attack is, like, a recipe for us really losing, right? Um I mean, it, it's an excellent point, and I agree with all of that, but I think the solution of, you know, retreating in a global world where, where tech- we're doing it on every other front. It's not retreating. It's adding another tool. It's an adding another tool. Visibility, transparency. 
It's adding a digital passport. It's adding a digital identity. It's giving Americans a tool to be able to... To, to value and I to agree. value each other's voices more. Yeah. Like I value the voice of someone vo- who votes in my country differently than I value random people screaming about some issue that may be bots or they just may be foreigners with no stake in our country or a stake in destroying our country. It's right? all about the implementation, right? I think, Dave, a, an opt-in digital identity passport for American citizens is an excellent idea. I mean, but I, I just, you know, there are, I think it could be optimistic as long as we got to the point where we say, if you didn't opt in, you're probably not American, right? Like it depends on the framing of it. It's, you know, the, the devil's in the defaults, right? Like I think saying you can, everyone's opted in, you can choose to turn it off fine you know, if that's, and then like so over time what else i mean it's so funny that i'm taking this point of view because this is not the role i usually play but then like what else do you have to assert right so you assert you're american then do you have to assert your gender do you have no to assert your race? i think this do is about to, american you know, assert your sex sexuality do you have to assert your this gets job back to our la- this get back to our last conversation about vc's disclosure <laughs> this is like why it's so maddening it's like no, you shouldn't disclose any of that shit. No. But apparently the far left thinks that you should, right? Like, which is wild to me, right? But you and really one- think that you're going to build a tool, a political tool, right? And that every four years you could have a change of regime. And that tool is like, I mean, again, I, I still think it's a good idea, but I also think we have to kind of think through. It's very easy to say the world has changed and we have to act differently, but there are going to be a lot of consequences to acting differently. And I think this is the classic, like, done is better. Like, you have to move this thing where it's like, yes, we all can come up with a thousand issues with this. I can. Like, I, we for sure can. And we can spend the next 10 years debating the fine points while we get completely railroaded, right, mm-hmm. on this type of stuff and lose. Or you act and you realize that it's not going to be a perfect solution. There are going to be collateral issues associated with it. You know, the internet, when it was born, there was a very specific decision to not have an identity layer baked into the internet, like into TCPIP. And it was smart at the time because candidly, had there been one, it would have been very hard for it to grow. Yeah. Right. Like it just, it was, a, but it wasn't like unintentional. Like people mm. were like, oh, we could make it so that identity is like at a base layer of the internet. We're like, no. If we do that, it's like too hard to plug into. We need an open system. Da, da, da. Smart decision. Like wouldn't have grown otherwise. But like we're now 20, whatever, 30 years later dealing with the fundamental consequences of that. And like I can, we can debate for the next 10 years in government or between ourselves as smart people what the perfect implementation is. Or we can solve the immediate problem. And that could be say, hey, we're not going to come up with the system fast enough. So let's just ban foreign social media and we'll figure it out in the next few years. Or it could be, nope, like we need a race to get digital base identity like uh, asserta- uh, built on the internet and then have some rules about disclosure that are simple and they'll be flawed. But like, screw it, right? Like I just, I think this is what Silicon Valley is the worst at, right? And technologists is like, when, when you cannot get to a fast solution, but you need one. Which, by the way, where did this conversation start? It started with AI. And we're yes. in a world now where we just saw a writer's strike, which is effectively based on, you know, the rights and copyrights that are related to individual identities and how they're used in AI. We just saw, you know, Leica Camera, you know, the, the, the premier camera company in the world released a new camera last week that has an identity chip built into it to authenticate the, uh, you know, the, the identity of a photo. Mm. So, I mean, we're also going into a world with AI where this is also going to be like, like dramatically important um, in a way that um, even in social media, it wasn't as important. Like we've, we've sort of made it this far with social media and it's kind of been fine. 
you know, we could debate the nuances of all these issues. But with AI, it's like you you really do actually need to know where all the bits came from. And that's so we like promised. A, I think it's a great it's a great point. I had missed that camera news. That's that's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, we we promised the listeners some predictions. So yeah. let's let's wrap with those. Any we, you promised predictions. <laughs> <laughs> what are your predictions? Oh, Sam, come on, you love a good prediction. Uh, I do love a good prediction. I actually have a lot of predictions on it, it, um, with regard. I get really nervous about predictions for some reason. <laughs> oh, I love them. Every year we do a bunch of the information and we've predicted like three CEO like firings and like five M&A deals. So, um, What's your hit rate, Jess? What's the information's uh, we, hit rate? We, we, we looked at that a couple of years ago. Pretty good. It's not bad. It's oh, pretty good. All right. And um, someone, uh, anyway. Um I'm really interested in what's going to happen on the business model side. I mean, it seems to me that like the development is that was a great point about how we see, like we saw this year, like the research and the business sides really collapse. And now I think because the costs of training are just like getting like astronomical and there's really like no end in sight, like no one's going to replace these H100s anytime soon. Like then you're seeing, um, just, I think like a real globe, it's going to change the global capital landscape because which maybe counteracts with some of the things we've seen, um, with where we're talking about, because you, these companies are going to have to raise gobs of money from around the globe. But I think there's going to be a big question of like the business models are going to go really B to B, um, and hmm. how that is going to look from a, like, a, if, if companies are going to continue to pay top, top dollar for the latest model, or they can get the business performance they need out of, um, you know, less expensive models. And so what, what, basically what the enterprise business model around this looks like. And I think that's a key question going forward because it will also shape the relationships between the open AIs, the Anthropics, the Microsofts, the Googles, like it's, it's not complicated. It's just going to be an ROI question. Right. Well, it's going to be an ROI for businesses. And if the models aren't better, then they won't buy them. They won't buy them. And But you now have, I mean, it, the old model, right, you would see the big four, big five tech companies try to acquire the latest and greatest technology. That didn't happen in AI for a lot of reasons, including regulators wouldn't let it happen. And so instead, you're seeing these very strange partnerships. And in the beginning of the year, they were all exclusive partnerships. OpenAI, Microsoft, Anthropic, Google. And now everyone's promiscuous because everyone needs capital. But the big tech companies are spending billions of billions of dollars in these models. In, and it's like very unclear what they're getting. And again, what the ultimate ROI will be on the technology. So those are very commercial predictions. But I think next year you could see, you know, you could see the B2B revenue really take off if businesses are getting amazing performance, but these technologies are still so expensive and deployed in such specific use cases that I think instead you're probably going to see that most companies can get by with like less expensive models and probably still great for the cloud and SaaS industry. But I, I think it's going to raise a lot of questions about really like the capital that went into these models, where the next round of capital is going to come from, um, and uh, yeah, so that, that's my sort of business side, um, point of view. And, and it, it, I am just struck of like how different, um, you know, it's almost like this year, the, 
Um, well, I'll, I'll save it because I don't want to step on some reporting that we're doing. So I'll, I'll save some some insights for later. But um, yeah, any other predictions you guys want to add to the AI mix? I mean, what people might be using it for besides getting rid of uh, microphone cords? <laughs> I just think that now that there's like a clear label that has to be put on everything, you're going to start seeing in every app from like Netflix to Spotify to your iBooks library, like an AI tab, um, and everything will be filtered that way. And uh, Dave and I actually hmm. got um, a note about like a new AI music label um, starting up. I, I think my prediction is that I think one of these implementations is going to surpass the incumbent um, version. Like I think there might be an AI music label that becomes bigger than one of the current music labels at some point in, in the next five to 10 years. I'll take the, my prediction will be the under on that. Right. Um, which is, look, I mean, AI music is a really funny <laughs> surprise, one. Because, surprise, <laughs> surprise, surprise. It's like more well, or less, Sam. <laughs> look, we've gotten a lot of pitches too on AI music, but then my absolute favorite pitch I've gotten on it, this is obviously a, given my, is I put up this deck was pretty critical of AI and startup investing. And this guy's like, actually, I've been doing quote unquote AI music, mostly outside the US for the last 10 years. And what I do is I just like basically use a bunch of synthesizers and some basic algorithms and generate like all of the elevator music in the world. That's like really <laughs> that's cheap. amazing. And he's making an insane amount of money that's doing so this. Awesome. So it's like I don't like. But do isn't you think that the, the same point music... Brit's saying? No, because it already exists, and like he's making mm. bank. There's no I'm the AI. About, like... Sam, we're talking about pop music over here. Yeah, Sam. No, Sam, I don't know. I look. I, we're not. I'm invested in some. I've actually invested in some of these from actually before this wave of AI. We have to sneak some doing... pop music into this episode, exactly. no matter what. Yeah. They're doing fine, but I think like nothing AI will change nothing about the digital like cheapo music generation world versus like artists. Can we do a whole episode on why Spotify's charts are? not a meritocracy sometime <laughs> sure i'll add to the list <laughs> all right we'll wrap dave did you get did we get dave's prediction yeah Fire so away. you know i was at a uh <laughs> another, another table dave another, and his tables i was at another secret event last night and um we we got to see an ai device the nice part about being at secret events is you can just make them up. Yeah, totally. He didn't um, make this one up. I have, I have third-party confirmation on the existence of this event. Yeah, and, you know, uh, and and this is talking... That's peer-to-peer -peer verification there, just in case you guys <laughs> missed it. Okay. Ah, so you've authenticated my identity. Um, and, you know, we, this is our own book. We are investors in this, but... Um, you know, I, I went into this event uh, neutral and I, I've actually been involved with this company and I, I've seen it evolve throughout the time that it's been being developed and it's about to launch. And, uh, you know, we uh, I went into it and, you know, I was actually really inspired. Um, and one of the things that um, really struck me about the uh, the future of AI uh, I guess there's two predictions that I've been thinking about a lot. And one of them is that I think that uh, real-time language translation is much closer than everybody realizes. Um, you know, and th this is a thing that we've been talking about for a really long time in technology. You know, you've been able to pull out your phone and, uh, you know, pull out Google Translate and people will do that. But it's been just like slightly too slow. A lot of the translation models kind of don't work well enough. Like I noticed um, we had a uh, uh, somebody uh, staying with us um, the last couple of weeks from Italy. And I was I spent, you know, the, the, the two weeks trying to talk to this person. 
and um, finding myself, I think we had about 25% language overlap. And we were kind of trying to talk to each other. And I thought it was interesting that I knew this, but I never pulled out my phone. Right. Mm. And um, I was, I had, uh, you know, this, this experience last night, just thinking about the fact that, wow, like language translation in real time, uh, using AI models and, um, you know, whether it's, you know, the iPhone or, or other devices that you might carry around is actually much closer than we think. And it's going to be, I think, profoundly impactful, uh, on how we can communicate with, you know, people that were, it was, you needed a literal person standing next to the person. Um, and, and so that's, but that's then what, we're going to ask for their digital identity and then we're not good. <laughs> Because if Americans are trying to talk to Americans and the Chinese are doing the translation. Okay, Dave, give us your last one. We're yeah. gonna, can we, let's end on Bye, the, everyone. No, Dave had one more. <laughs> my last one. My last one is just that voice. I think voice is uh, actually the battleground uh, for AI much more than we think. Like we're spending a lot of time in tech land, just like looking mm. at how powerful these things are with our eyes and text. And I think that voice is actually going to be the premier battleground of AI in a way that we kind of aren't talking about right now. And, um, and so that's, that's my other one. Awesome guys. We covered a lot in this episode. It's going to be a tough one, a headline. It's going to be a tough one, a headline. <laughs> um, but great to chat as always. Thank you to our listeners, our viewers, our back channel. Um, it's fun to be kind of rounding out the year with you all. And we've Bye, got everyone. lots of fun end of year <laughs> content planned as Bye, well. Everyone. So, uh, give us a like, give us a share, give us a follow, give us a whatever, and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. See you next see week. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a virtual high five by rating it and reviewing it on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Find more information about each episode in the show notes and follow us on social media by searching for at more or less at Dave Morin at lesson, at jlesson, and as for me, I'm at Brit. See you guys next time.